Hello and good day. This is Dr. Rob Streisfeld, Doc Rob, your concierge to better living here at CannabisRadio.com, all over the airwaves, digital downloads, and it's great to have you with us for another wonderful episode. You know, we're cruising up around seven years of this podcast and tons of episodes from ranging from all different topics. And I love to look back, thinking about seven years ago, wow, time has flown. But you know, I've been doing this cannabis thing, been doing this education thing for quite a while, and there's some people that have stood out that I've crossed paths with, that I've had chances to connect with over this journey. And, you know, it's always nice when I get a chance to circle back, see what's new, what's shaking, what things have been evolving since the last conversation. And that's what this show is all about today. I'm super excited to have today our guest, Dean Picado, CEO of Neuropathics. My buddy, Dean. Hey, Dan, how's it going? Good to see you. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's great to see you, Rob. Thanks for taking the time and have me on your program. I'm happy to catch up on all the things you missed in the last six years. Well, I know you're a busy guy. You keep things going. And, you know, from the early days, one of the things I always remember was, you know, I always tell people about great conferences I attended to. And I was just speaking with a previous guest about the conference in Bivino, Italy, uh, put on by the ICRS, International Cannabinoid Research Society, many years ago that you and I both attended. And I have to say that you've been to a lot of places around the world. You've been major events. You're a corporate guy. Let's take a moment. What kind of event? Does that lasting still is that still giving you lasting memories at one event in Italy? I mean, that still is my favorite conference I've ever attended. Oh, it's tremendous. It was a tremendous opportunity to connect with everybody overseas. I will tell you that the first one we went to was right after we had gotten our seed round from Medical Marijuana Inc. back in 2013. We were up in Vancouver and it was a conference that was sponsored by GW Pharma. And he just happened to bump into Jeffrey Guy, who's the chairman of GW Pharmaceuticals. And he uh, walked over to me, congratulated uh, us on getting a license agreement with NIH on the 507 patent. And I said, well, you know, we really didn't want to focus on epilepsy or pain at that time because they had Sativex for pain. And they had a, uh, started to work on epidiolics for epilepsy. And he just kind of looked at me and he smiled and he said, oh, come on, man. There's plenty of room for competition in the space. And so that kind of left a lasting impression on me uh, uh, from the Vancouver trip. And of course, Italy was great as well. It was good to catch up with everybody there, too. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. You've been evolving this entity. So let's give our listeners who don't know you as well as I do a little background. What is it? I mean, there's so many areas of cannabis and cannabinoid science that can be evaluated, discovered, researched, et cetera. Give us a little background about what you guys have been doing over the last several years um, in this space, just to give our listeners a little background. Sure, no problem. We started the company as Catalyze Sciences back in 2010, and we quickly transitioned as a uh, pharmaceutical company, very nascent. We stuck to the discipline of, of pharma. We wanted to try and develop ethical pharmaceuticals derived from any cannabis constituent. The first one we focused on was cannabidiol or CBD. And the disease indication we were looking at was something that brings up toxic insult into the hippocampus. So we're looking at CBD as a neuroprotectant. And in this particular instance, uh, hippocampal neurons in, in the hippocampus is your cognitive and your behavioral reasoning center. And when they get attacked by toxins, bad things happen. And so we were looking at ethanol and ammonia toxicity in, in hippocampal neurons. We first studied CBD and we thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. There's definitively neuroprotection. But then we look at the pharmacology of CBD and we said, well, in the future, it may become difficult to go through the FDA with cannabidiol. And this was back in 2013. So our goal was at that moment in time to create a new set of synthetic 
cannabidiol-derived analogs, synthetic analogs of CBD, and see if their pharmacology and their pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamic panels were better than CBD. And then we started to focus on those compounds. And today we have an explosive opportunity with a breakthrough compound called KLS-13019. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Awesome. Yeah, that's really interesting because, again, there's so many different, uh, as I said, niches or, or, or pathways in the cannabis industry for people. And to identify early on, um, you know, that this is something that you guys wanted to focus on. And that's really what I was excited to have you on was that it's been all these years, but you guys have not been distracted by the shiny object syndrome like a lot of these corporations are or or have gone too wide too fast and then ended up with nothing underneath you and you're you know fumbling you guys have stayed focused have really put the research efforts into this uh you know compounds to find out its use and opportunities to help people and so you know that that's really really cool that you guys have taken that and i know that uh your team is state-of-the-art, top-notch, you know, researchers and scientists as well. So they must be excited to see these breakthroughs after years of research and, you know, uh, evolves coming to this point. So um, in those areas, you, you mentioned with epilepsy, talking to GW guys, and they've seemed to be pretty cool about not trying to monopolize the space, seeing that there's a room for innovation, you know, in different areas, including various epilepsy formats. Um, but one of the things you said, you know, pain, that's obviously been an area of focus for you guys. You know, understanding the pain mechanism. Well, it's funny. It wasn't at the beginning, uh, right. but we seem to have backed into it uh, quite nicely. There's two different types of pain. You have in uh, patient uh, syndromes such as fibromyalgia, chemotherapy-induced neuropathic pain, diabetic neuropathy, uh, post-herpetic neuralgia, which is like shingles. There's a, a pain model called neuropathy and neuropathic pain. It's different from analgesia. You know, it's kind of like analgesia is the ouch-type pain, and so we backed into it by accident. Like I had mentioned, Jeffrey Guy, I was really interested in pain, but I didn't really know that there were different departments of pain. So in 2017, Temple University, which had some knowledge of our work in KLS 13019, they invited us to join them in a grant opportunity with National Institutes on Drug Abuse uh, through the NIH. We got a couple hundred thousand dollars, exactly about 300,000 to study our compound against CBD and against morphine in a chemotherapy-induced neuropathic pain model. And we found out some very interesting things. There were three aims to the study. The first aim was, can you prevent the onset of neuropathic pain from chemotherapy? And both CBD and our compound did reasonably well in that area. Uh, Then we go on to the next milestone in that study, which was, can you reverse neuropathic pain brought on by chemotherapy. And we found out some interesting things. CBD was not able to reverse neuropathic pain once the chemo was administered and then CBD was administered thereafter. There was no reversal of neuropathic pain in the model. Our compound did reverse neuropathic pain. And it did so at about five milligrams per kilo of body weight in the animal and morphine at 20 milligrams per kilo of body weight in the animal. So we had a better dose response than morphine, and we had a better move back to the control, meaning back to normal. Then the third aim was something really fascinating, is morphine reinstatement. Will the animal go back to morphine after the administration of KLS-13019? In this case, they didn't. So we may be onto something here, both not only only in a neuropathic pain model, but also in the dependency of opiates and opiate withdrawal syndrome. 
So we're really excited that we took that uh, study. We, we got published in the British Journal of Pharmacology. And thereafter, we uh, went into NIH, uh, National Institutes of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, under the HEAL initiative, which is helping end addiction long term. And we went after a phase two study grant. And I'm grateful that we received a three-year, $2.97 million grant from NIH to move our compound into the clinic. The monies for this grant are used specifically for IND-enabling studies, uh, chemistry scale-up, animal toxicity, and, and uh, drug discrimination studies, uh, you know, animal knockout studies for target, and we'll get into how our drug works later on after your break. So that's where we are today. We're really excited about the prospects of what we're doing with KLS 13019, both in opioid uh, replacement therapy for pain and opioid withdrawal syndrome as well. Yeah, I think that's amazing, especially backing into it and those you know, unexpected discoveries are sometimes the best ones. Um, but at the same time, what, what you mentioned, and just to recap before we break, is that it's not just helping with pain itself, but it's also helping with potentially uh, the, the addiction to those opioids or pain meds that have been utilized or overutilized uh, in society of late. And if you can offer a, uh, a, a still a solution for pain without the addictive component, boom. I mean, that's all I got to say is just boom. That's, that's awesome. So uh, and to, obviously others have seen this, getting that secondary grant to go to that next level is, is definitely that recognition of that potential. So I'm excited to hear that. And I uh, would love to learn more about those mechanisms of action, which we're going to find out a little bit more after this first break. You know, Dean, it's really great. I'm super jazzed that you guys have made this progress, not just for your own company, but for people that are suffering. This is a key here for better living purposes. This is a, a potentially a great solution and a, a future option for those dealing with pain and don't need the, the stress or the concerns of that you know, opioid addiction. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back with Dean Picanis from Neuropathics, talk some more about this uh, cannabinoid you know, molecule or you know, similar synthetic molecule that seems to be working a little bit better than the plant molecule. Don't go anywhere. This is Doc Rob, your host at Concierge for Better Living here at CannabisRadio.com. The Concierge for Better Living will continue in a moment. All right, all right. We are back. Uh, if you're just joining us, you missed a good first segment, go back and listen to it. But if not, keep on listening as uh, CEO of Neuropathics, Dean Picanis, my old friend from the industry, is explaining how, you know, listen, let me back up. I am a plant guy, and Dean knows this. Everyone that you know, knows me knows this. I am a whole plant. I'm from nature. But listen, if, if, if science if this is what we're here for, if science can complement nature, if science could actually improve on it in some areas done the right way, especially when it comes to this, I mean, you got to be for it, right? So I I'm excited, Dean. So a little bit more about how this molecule works or what else you want to share? Because it's just, you know, really fascinating to hear. You know, again, I everyone knows I'm all about just use the plant, use plants, use herbs, use natural things. But I, I, I'd be remiss to not acknowledge when certain scientific discoveries merit you know, an opportunity to help people feel better. And that's what we're talking about today. I think it's wonderful that you, you hold on to that because I do as well. I think, you know, my background and work on a project for sickle cell back in 2002, 2003. And I, I truly believe in whole plant pharmacology. I think that in absence of something that could uh, expand on whole plant pharmacology, you rely on it. And in certain markets, they rely on that for traditional medical purposes. 
But I'll give you a perfect example of a transition and a bridge that was created from a whole plant scenario from nature and turned into a synthetic compound, paclitaxel. And oddly enough, I'm right back to it. Uh, in 1994, I financed a company called Zchem. They were in uh, paclitaxel, generic paclitaxel, and paclitaxel is an anti-cancer compound for breast and ovarian cancer. It didn't start as a synthetic. It started as something from the bark of the Pacific yew tree, and then it got converted in semi-synthesis, and then ultimately Bristol-Myers took the market with their broad product Taxol, and it was a fully synthesized compound. And the reason being is that what synthesis does and uh, ethical pharmaceutical routes do with nature is sometimes they take out the impurities. They consistently move towards uh, purity scale and drug, uh, I would say drug-like properties that can be used in the clinic in the clinical sense. Because when you standardize a product, you get that product over and over and over again. And that's the whole role of taking something from nature and moving it into the clinic. And in many cases, it's not bad. I think where Big Pharma gets the rap, obviously, uh, are scenarios like what happened with Martin Shkreli and the AIDS drug and you know overpricing and stuff like that. But Big Pharma tends to take from nature and try and improve on it. And I think that that's what we have here. We have a bridge. And years ago, Rob, I think I spoke with you about this. I said, everybody hates us, but we're really trying to build a bridge for cannabis to be relevant and that there are constituents in the plant that can be mobilized and can be improved upon. And I think that's what has happened here with us. I think we're kind of pioneers in that regard. We're the first to really look at cannabidiol from a, a synthetic analog perspective and also molecular targeting. One of the things that's interesting about CBD and things about uh, GW's product, which is in a formulary, a plant formulary, is they cannot tell you how their drug works. It's because CBD is pleiotropic. It hits so many biological targets that you don't really understand its mechanism of action. It could be one of several things. But in that regard, it's a little bit dirty because when used clinically, you'll have some issues such as drug interaction profiles that are counterintuitive to uh, the patient's response. Some of the things of epidiolics, liver tox issues, but even in drug uh, discrimination issues, it was, it was amplifying the benzos that some of the epilepsy patients were taking. And so screening off of benzodiazepines that were used originally to treat epileptic seizures and cannabidiol, which was now being used as a refractory replacement for these drugs, there was a problem in the, in the schematic of taking the patients off of these anticonvulsants and onto CBD, which worked nicely. But again, there were issues there because too many targets. What's interesting about O19 is that we have defined two molecular targets that are very much at work in two specific areas that are really exciting areas. One is the mitochondria dysfunction. Sodium calcium regulation in mitochondria is very, very important for body homeostasis. And everybody knows mitochondria is your energy center. It's really your army of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, I would call them organelles that go out and create ATP synthesis and energy. And you get uh, you know, very good body responses from healthy mitochondria. When they go bad, things go bad. And also we have hit a molecular target in our screening that talks about inflammation. 
And this is a, an inflammatory sentinel receptor that's an orphan cannabinoid receptor called GPR55. Let me repeat that. It's an orphan cannabinoid receptor. It's a G protein couple receptor called GPR55. And many consider that to be the CB3 receptor. So what we have now is we have a drug that hits two biological targets, is not everywhere, very specific, and it deals with the very issues that are revolving around a paclitaxel toxicity event that causes neuropathic pain, mitochondria dysfunction, and a very hot signal on inflammation through GPR-55. Yeah, no, I, I think, well, you hit GPR-55, you know, in the industry has been talked about as that third receptor site, that CB3 receptor. So it doesn't get talked about enough. And I think that I'm glad you brought that up. But also, I mean, I, I firsthand can totally relate to that with dealing with my mother having seizures, being on several different pharmaceutical drugs at one time, and then also trying to work with the cannabinoids, CBD. And yes, I was able to wean her off several of those medications but it was a little bit of a, of a, of a guesswork because it was really no understanding and how it was interacting. If I was using the same CBD product or different CBD products, how that was going to interact with her. And even just other conversations I've had with, you know, even, um, you know, when we talk about on a genetic level, that even those that are taking epidiolics or those that children have seizures, there are different genetic pathways that could be uh, either benefited or worsened by CBD. Some of those sodium channels in those, in those uh, genetic pathways could be benefiting by CBD or actually could worsen that individual's epileptic condition. So it's really important, when you, like you said, to have a clean, specifically targeted, you know, effect or drug versus a wide, you know, kind of like that, you know, spread shot type of approach that may help a good amount of people, but may not help a certain amount of people that your product can. So again, I know that's trying to simplify the, the, the science and the tech for some of my listeners, but it's really important that there are going to be applications where, uh, especially when it comes to pain, that if you can understand the, where the pain is you know, coming from, how it's being, you know, especially inflammation, if you can treat that and target that without all the other side effects in a consistent manner, I, I think you know, that's going to be very useful. I think that you just have a lot more to keep going. And I think there's going to be a lot more discoveries along this pathway as well. I think once you start opening up that, that, that box and seeing what opportunities there are, I think, like you said, even if you backed into this one by accident, there'll probably be other ones that will find benefit. I'm sure you're excited about that too. We're excited about that. We're in a space where good things happen by accident. And uh, we're very, very grateful that uh, I, you know, I, I, I say this and I really mean this, that the hand of God is involved here because we couldn't have done this. Like you can't plan this from the beginning and say, this is what we're going to do. And this is where we're going to go. We knew we were going to be a, you know, a specialty pharmaceutical and drug discovery company. But like I told you at the very beginning, I told Jeffrey Guy, oh, we, we don't really want to be involved with pain. But yeah. here we are. We're heavily involved with pain. And not only just pain, any kind of pain, but neuropathic pain, which it affects almost 100 million people. And it seems that something odd takes place in that space in that Wall Street seems to not care <laughs> about the largest single problem facing Americans who have unmet needs. There's no FDA-approved drug in the market to treat chemotherapy-induced neuropathic pain. And we aim to make cannabis uh, a, a, a godfather to that space by having taken O19, which is a synthetic 
functional analog of CBD and bringing it into the market uh, to meet those unmet patient needs and, and bring relief. And at the same time, you know, really cut into a major crisis, the opioid replacement market. And I will tell you after the next break where Big Pharma is now refocusing their attention. I love it. I love how you know how to lead this into the, that. What sizzle is coming next? And there's a lot of good sizzle that you have good insight onto. So we're going to take that break. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap up this episode, which again, D and I, we could talk for hours and I'm sure you're going to have you back on as more and more of these discoveries unfold. But we're going to come back and talk a bit about Dean's perspective on where the pharmaceutical industry is going next and how cannabis therapeutics are going to integrate into that. So don't go anywhere. This is Doc Rob, your host here at Concierge for Better Living on Cannabis Radio. We'll be right back after this brief message. The Concierge for Better Living will continue in a moment. All right, all right, all right. We are back with our final segment of today's episode. I got Dean Picanis, the CEO of Neuropathics, with us, giving us a real deep dive into the potential of, you know, CBD and other cannabinoid synthetic analogs that when done properly with good intention or even by accident the universe can provide some unexpected discoveries has the potential for some significant pharmaceutical development some significant futures in our the way we treat neuropathic pain and others related conditions so how do you see now i mean obviously cannabis has taken like you know the last decade plus since we've been you know hanging out you know that Cannabis has taken a much more forward opinion. Now we look at mushrooms, psilocybin, other compounds, psychedelics, ketamine for pain, and this and that. Where do you see all this forming a shift, or at least where the direction of the pharmaceutical industry is looking next? I'm glad you asked the question, because years ago, Big Pharma didn't want anything to do with pain. Uh, they got blown up out of the starting blocks by uh, MS Cotton. And so what happened with the opioid marketplace is that they, you know they had a couple of uh, reasonably good drugs that were going under trial to deal with pain. But what did they know 20 years ago? Were the molecular targets the same? GPR-55 wasn't even on the whole landscape. NLRP3, which is the inflammation gene in the inflammasome, wasn't on the landscape. So you were, they were looking at receptor-based issues in the, in the central nervous system or in the brain to try to shut down the response of the symptoms associated with pain. Well, opioids can do that like a sledgehammer to a fly. So as Big Pharma was going through the clinic and we're not getting any real good uh, clinical endpoint responses from patients because of subjectivity. And by the way, subjectivity could also be chemically based. There's a woman in Australia that doesn't feel pain because mm -hmm. of allodynia, right? So how do you measure the patients that are coming in and out of trial so if it's XYZ for XYZ disease and patient screening is, is not really up to biomarkers where you can identify where the patient response is equal to the biological response, pain could be everywhere. Right. So after the failures, opioids just took off because it met almost every degree of pain from turf toe all the way to palliative care. And those are the unintended consequences we see now as a result of it. So when Big Pharma evacuated the space, nobody filled the space. Everybody started chasing um, immune response and monoclonal antibodies for cancer, which got all the Wall, Wall Street money. Now turn the cameras forward, and these new biological targets that exist, like NLRP3, which you know is an issue that's both in the CNS and PNS, 
has gotten big pharma buyout the last couple of years. So a company called Implazome got bought out by Roche, a company called Disarm got bought out by Lilly. And then we're hearing in, in, you know, in, the, uh, in the weeds, we hear that big pharma is getting back in the pain space. And it's because there's an evacuation and a constant effort to evacuate opioids from the marketplace. So they can go back in now without opiates being the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, the Ben Johnson on steroids out of the right. starting blocks, because Ben Johnson's not in the race anymore. Yep. We can go back and you know revisit other therapeutics. And so we're in a good place. We're in the right place at the right time, because our drug has two particular targets. It's very hot and being chased by big pharma. Yeah, I think you are in the right spot at the right time. And that's just, again, having focus, being committed to, you know, your, your, your path, your project, your purpose. And I think that's what you're getting rewarded for now. And I think in the future, you'll see that, you know, windfall coming, but that's not by accident. I really think you guys have had that mindset from the beginning of what you wanted to accomplish. And I admire that for this industry is so easy to get distracted by shiny objects and what the next big thing is. Instead of just saying, this is where I want to be. This is what we're going to do well and, and execute. And again, that's where I really, you know, admire that from you guys, whether it be counter life sciences or neuropathics, where can people uh, learn more? Cause I know they want to keep learning more about what you're doing, learn more about this compound and learn more about how it's being evolved or developed because it's going to be something in the near future where people are going to want a neuropathic pain solution without the addiction of opioids. And sounds like you're going to be the one, at least one of the ones to bring it to the table. So where can they learn more? What are some web links or resources for my listeners? I'm going to just have everybody call you and you can just pick, pick up the phone and call me. That's I'm just kidding. <laughs> just so I want to stay more in touch with you because there's such a huge gap between the last time we spoke. And I really enjoy speaking with you, Rob. It's always good to meet with you and talk with you. You're My so best. knowledgeable in the space and everything that you're doing to help people is well regarded. Uh, you can reach us at uh, www.neuropathics.com. You can reach Tom Kikis uh, through uh, Toma at neuropathics.com. You can reach me at Dean at neuropathics.com. We have CMW Media involved with our company uh, that are handling a lot of the media engagement, such as the one we're talking with you today. And, uh, you know, we're happy to talk to people about what we're doing. We're just not going to give any medical advice. You know, that's a taboo and that's a no-no. It's always Uh, a good thing. (laughs) Like tell people about exactly what we're doing and what's happening. Uh, we One last thing, Rob, we just submitted a paper for publication in the Journal of Molecular Neuroscience. We should be hearing something in the next couple of weeks uh, in terms of some of the research that we touched upon with GPR 55. It's really exciting. I know Big Pharma is going to be paying attention. I hope everybody else is paying attention as well. I definitely will be, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that when that gets published, and uh, I wish you good luck with that as well. Thank you, Dean, for coming on, sharing that insight with my listeners, giving them Really something to think about. And, uh, you know, again, always great to talk with you. We'll definitely be talking more in the near future. Lots of good opportunities coming forward. And, uh, yeah, shout out to Toma. Shout out to your CMW team and everyone else. And, and again, thank you, everyone at Canvas Radio, for making this show happen. It is always my privilege to work together uh, with like-minded people to have today a little bit better than yesterday and hopefully tomorrow better than today. And with that, I wish everyone, as always, all the best in health and happiness. Take care and be well.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.